Hello and welcome to Co-OpCast, a podcast about cooperative board games with your hosts, Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly. Hi, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hello. And welcome to the first episode of Co-OpCast, or actually episode zero. Episode zero. Today we're going to just introduce ourselves. This is not going to be our typical format. We just want to introduce ourselves and talk about our top five co-op games for new gamers. Yes, the the inexperienced. Great. So, Mike, let's start with introducing ourselves. So, what's just a brief bio of yourself? Give me your background. Hey there, I'm a Mike Kelly. I am a game designer with Peter with MVP Board Games. I'm also a high school English teacher with a former background in uh, acting and theater. All right. Do you want to tell us about your, uh, you know, your childhood growing up? No, I'm. I really just want to know what's your gaming bio. I should I should have been more specific. On sure, that. <laughs> sure. Well, hey, I'll just tell you my whole life story. I started out with tabletop RPGs, played a little Warhammer 40k. Eventually worked at a game uh, board game store in my teens. And uh, from there, I've played all kinds of things, but these days I'm mostly into uh, solo gaming, cooperative gaming, deck builders, thematic games, mostly more Ameritrash than Euro, although I'll pretty much try anything. All right, and my history of gaming, I kind of started when I was young. When I, I mean, I remember playing Yahtzee and Backgammon with my dad all the time growing up. My earliest memories with my grandmother were playing poker. She would definitely let me win. We were playing for pennies, so I always left her house with pennies, so I definitely enjoyed those trips, and it's just been in my blood. I did a little bit of RPGing, not much when I was young, young, and then when I got into college, we got into Magic, and then found Puerto Rico, Settlers of Catan. Those were like my first two games, and kind of went from there. And you and I met. you want to tell the story? We were at a local game store that I had never been to before. And at the time, we were playing, all of us separately, this older game called Battleground Fantasy Warfare, which was a card version of a tabletop miniature war game. And I heard uh, these guys, including Peter, talking about this game that I was playing mostly solo, trying to control both armies, which is terrible. Wow, you played that one solo? Oh, that's, yeah. That's man, amazing. It was, it was a fiddly mess. And I went over to Peter's house a few times to play Battleground with them. Eventually that led into a lot more gaming and uh, also game design after a while. Yeah, we started doing a pretty regular weekly game night. And then I had my first child. And that's really when game design started for me. I started having a lot less time to play games so and a lot more time by myself. I wasn't into solo games. And to be honest, there probably weren't as many solo games 10 years ago when we started doing design. Yeah, I think that's right. And so I started getting into design. And then I tried to get all my friends to help play test. And Mike was the only one who would help me out with it. And that relationship went into design. So now that we learned a little bit about us, let's talk about why co-op games. Mike, what is it about co-op games that really like stands out to you? There's a few things. First of all, by design, since co-op games generally involve most uh, information being fairly open and an AI controlled by the board game itself, it lends itself to solo play. I love solo play, so almost any time I add a co-op game to my collection, I know I'm going to be playing it with others and also just playing it alone sometimes. But on top of that, my wife definitely prefers to play games with me. My son hates when I defeat him in a game and would much rather play games with me. I find it's, uh, it's more fun to introduce new gamers into the fold with uh, cooperative games. So in terms of me uh, 
you know, getting my gaming dollars worth and having as much game time as possible, I find co-op games really fill that niche better. And I totally agree. I used to like co-op games, but not love them. And, and, you know, I think I had a different impression of co-op games also. You know, I used to think co-op games were only ghost stories and pandemic. And I think lately co-op games have really evolved. You know, Arkham Horror obviously is always a co-op game. You talk to people who say they don't like co-op games, and then they tell you Arkham Horror is their favorite game. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I do think we're probably in the best story-based cooperative game gaming moment currently that we've ever had. We got with Arkham LCG, Time Stories. I mean, there are just some amazing games that really make you feel immersed. Whether or not the mechanics stand up and whether or not you are as challenged every session, uh, there are some really cool experiences. It also, I will say, co-op games kind of scratch that itch that I'm missing of tabletop RPGs because I just don't have time to organize those as much anymore with having two kids right now. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, kind of getting back to why I like co-op games, too. Yes, they've evolved and, and they're definitely better now than I think they have been in a while. But same thing you said. I think playing with my wife, my kids, co-op games, there's really nothing better than that to get them into it, especially at young ages. Certainly you want to teach them to lose gracefully, win gracefully. It helps when you're losing and winning with them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was just going to say that. My son, my wife, they lose a game against me. They want to play that game less often. You know, like they, they feel... They're just going to get beaten again. Why should they play again? It can be, you know, disincentivizing for them playing the game. But co-op games, for the most part, as long as we come kind of close to at least sort of winning, you lose and they want to play again. They're like, oh, set that up. Let's do it. So it's it's a challenge to be overcome together. I mean, clearly, I guess that's kind of redundant with co-op games, but definitely helps me uh, just get more playing in. Yeah, and then some of our neighbors, we've also started playing with them recently, who weren't gamers, and we started playing with them, and I found that co-op games really work with them as well. Again, it's a less intimidating way, I think, to get in, and some some way where you don't have to learn all the rules up front. Yeah. You can kind of teach the rules as you play. You just need to know the basic actions, and they go, okay, what can I do again? And you can help them, and they don't feel like maybe you're helping them, but not really helping them because you still want to win. So I think that's another nice aspect of solo games. Definitely, definitely. All right, uh, so why did we decide to do a cooperative podcast? Mostly because I don't realize how little time I have. I think that is a number one. I always jump into these things without fully thinking them through. But to be honest, I, I think it came from our game design background a little bit. I realized that a lot of the games that we were designing were cooperative board games, and I thought we might have a different perspective, a different voice, to lend to the community. First of all, there isn't a cooperative podcast beside this one. And secondly, I think having a a little bit of a designer voice lends a little bit different angle on things. Now, again, this format is going to be a little bit different this week, but let me just quickly talk through what our normal format's going to be, and then we'll get into our top five list of top five great games for new board gamers, how to introduce them to this wonderful world of cooperative games. Our normal format's going to be, we're just going to do a quick introduction followed by an under-the-spotlight game. We're going to talk about one cooperative game each week. We're going to talk for about a half an hour total. We're going to talk about the good about the game, the bad about the game, and our overall impressions of the game. Then we're going to have a design discussion afterwards. 
where we're going to cover one point related to the game. So, for example, if we talk about Gloomhaven, we may talk about legacy board games and cooperatives. Uh, If we're talking about Pandemic, people always love to talk about the Alpha Player. And we may even take a couple of these episodes and make a series out of them. So, for example, if we're going to do Pandemic, Forbidden Island, Mm. and Forbidden Desert, those three games kind of tie together. And then maybe we'll, during the Forbidden Desert design design discussion, talk about the differences between the games and what makes them unique and kind of what our feelings are one over the other. I'm excited. (laughs) You you didn't sound excited at all. I I, I am excited. (laughs) And then we uh, also may have uh, a little bit of news in closing at the end of the episodes, but I don't think we're going to have a lot of news. Uh, Certainly, if there's something exciting going on with co-op games, we're going to cover that. But without further ado, let's get into our top five cooperative games for new players. And just to talk about how I chose mine, I'm not sure if you use the exact same process, but what I was looking for are games that I could give the entire game to a group who has little to no experience with, uh, you know, hobby board gaming, and they would be able to play the game by themselves. So not necessarily games like, I'll tell you, for example, I don't know if this is on your list, Peter, I did not pick Arkham Horror. Um, Now, I I think that if I'm running a game of Arkham Horror, it could be very accessible for a new player, but I'm certainly not going to have my, (laughs) you know, my non-gaming neighbors play Arkham Horror alone with no guidance. So I picked five games that I thought could bring people into the fold, and I could even just give them a copy and say, hey, try this out, or run them through it once and then leave them to their own devices to hopefully get them to have some ownership of that gaming experience. Did, did you pick kind of the same sort of games, Peter? I did, and the way I numbered my games, five to one, are not my preference for the game. Mm. Number one isn't my favorite game on this list per se, but I think it's the one that I would recommend first to a new player, whereas number five is a is a high recommendation, but I think it may be either a little bit more complicated or maybe I don't like it as much. You know, I mean, there, there that factor is in it too. Yeah, I, I will say my, I, th- I think mine does go in my order of preference, which one I actually like the best, but I, I hope all five of them, in my opinion, they're all pretty accessible. And so one thing we'll be doing, uh, Peter and I have not seen each other's lists, if uh, one of us says a game at a ranking and the other one has that game at a higher ranking, we'll, we'll save the discussion of that game until we get to the higher ranking spot. All right, sounds fair. But I did want to put in one other game that isn't on my top five. That oh, kind yeah, of well, breaks... no, start with honorable mentions, unless it's on my list. Okay, it kind of breaks the rule of what we were talking about. Okay. Because um, what we were talking about is games you could give to somebody and let them play on their own, whereas this game I think is awesome and a great introductory co-op game, but really something that needs to be run by an experienced gamer. And that's Mansions of Madness. Sure, sure. I'm with you on that. Um, it's not on my list, but yeah, the, if you guys haven't played Mansions of Madness, this is the second edition from Fantasy Flight. Uh, it's run, a large portion of the game is run through an app, which might make it sound like it's going to be easy for a new player to play, but there's a lot of components, there's a lot of moving parts. There's, well, there's a lot of little rules, too. Like, yeah. line of sight, like... When do you have to take horror checks when you're two spaces away, but there can't be a door in the when way? When fire is going to come in the first scenario pretty much every time, and the fire rules still confuse me sometimes. So, And, and, and even just the, the, the new two rulebook format, I think that would be, even though they have the introductory one, I think that could be kind of intimidating for a new uh, group of players. I agree. With, with that said, we introduced it to a new gamer, our neighbors, 
And he loved it. Oh, sure. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic experience. That's a great game to uh, show to somebody and get them into the hobby a bit. And the amount of rules you have to cover with them before starting is almost nothing. Basically nothing, yeah. Yeah, here's I mean... how you move. Yeah, here's how you move here's when you roll, you roll the dice. dice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that's about it. So, sure. all right, so let's get right. into it with your number five. My number five. Uh, my number five is Escape, the original uh, dice rolling one with the temple. So that's not on your list? It is not on my list. Okay, so uh, Escape, it's pretty simple rules-wise. You know, you just got to figure out the couple of symbols on the dice. I'm not talking with any of the expansions. There's a heck of a lot you can add to the Escape experience, but I'm just talking vanilla base game Escape. Uh, But it's super quick to play. Even if the first game goes horribly wrong, it's uh, really easy to set it up again. I've never played it with a group where they didn't immediately want to play it four or five times in a row. And it's just, it's, it's a frenetic, fun experience. People have never usually played anything like it. So I think uh, the rule set is pretty simple. It's a lot of fun. It's very addictive. I do have it pretty low on the list because I think it uh, it overstays its welcome eventually. After, after I've played it like five or ten times in a few days, i got to put it away for several months before I want to try it again. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a fun one to kind of get people in in an exciting way to what games can be. Yeah, no, I totally agree. The thing I like about that and Mansions of Madness that we just talked about is they're different. People are going to look at both of these games and say, this is something I've never seen before. Yeah, you can't compare it to Monopoly. You can't compare (laughs) it to (laughs) Sorry or anything like that. Definitely not. So, I mean, I do like that choice. The reason it's not on my list, again, I agree with everything you've said about it. And the symbols on the dice are pretty intuitive and pretty straightforward. But the one rule it violates for me is I can't really help somebody if I'm playing with them because yeah. I'm rolling the dice as fast as I need to That's also. That's a good point. That's a good point. And also for new players, I'm not sure about the speed element. I'm not sure, sure if they'd be able to keep up with yeah, it. I guess real time might be a tough sell. Good but, call. but if you've got a good group and if you've got somebody who can play it, and again, that's why it's number five. It's a little lower on the list. But I, I do think that it is a good game for new for new gamers. Sure. My number five is Castle Panic. Not on mine. Go ahead. That's a good, I forgot about that one. Yeah, so Castle Panic, I, I mean, I can't forget about it because my son, he's nine. He loves Castle Panic. It is a game, I'll be honest, I think it is a little too easy with the base difficulty as you had in I mean, Wizard's Tower and other expansions. I do think it becomes more challenging, but uh, base Castle Panic, I do think is a little bit too easy. But again, we're talking new gamers here a good way to introduce people. And I think the mechanics are pretty simple. If it says blue sword, you can hit somebody in the blue sword field. So I think it's it's pretty straightforward. And, uh, yeah, that, that's a good one. I, I totally forgot about Castle Panic, but it looks really nice on the board. It's super easy to learn. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I might have knocked out one of the ones on my list for that if I had thought about it. All right, goodbye, Escape. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, let's get to your number four. My number four is the uh, fairly recently released Hogwarts deck building game. You got yeah. that on yours? Yeah, that's definitely on my list. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of crossover from here right, on is out. Is that higher for you? It is All definitely right, so higher for we'll me. We'll talk about that later. What's number, number four, four, you might not have ever heard of it before. It's a little game called Pandemic. That's actually not on my list. I have, a, I have some issues <laughs> with Pandemic, but please talk about it. All right, well, I mean, I don't have issues with Pandemic. I, I mean... Full disclosure here, I actually used a demo for Z-Man games when uh, Pandemic was first released. So I've taught this game well over 100 times just through demoing. And every new player I've introduced it to, the theme is immediately appealing. Fighting diseases is not fighting monsters. You don't have any hurdles to overcome as far as theme goes. Simple actions, you literally have two quick reference cards, or maybe it's even one that's double-sided. 
and that's all the actions you can do in the game. And so I really do think for someone who's first getting into it, it's a great place to start. Not only that, first of all, it's very accessible, obviously. You can get in Target wherever you want to go, pick it up. But the other element is it leads into a whole world of games, you know, and some of those I'm sure we'll be talking about later. Well, that, that's uh, the reason Pandemic didn't make my list. I sort of I didn't want to have more than one from that sort of Pandemic family on the list. Right. And uh, I... I have problems with pandemic. I hate uh, I hate what I feel is a very anticlimactic ending when the game ends because you ran out of player cards in the deck, which is you know the only one that feels totally unthematic. I understand why it's there for balance reasons, but I think uh, other games in that series have better implemented uh, themes and mechanics. So we'll talk about that later. Absolutely. All right. So to your number three. My number three is a uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue. That is coming up later on my list. Man, my number three everything. is Flashpoint Fire Rescue. Yeah, well, okay, then we can talk. That's funny. Yeah, so uh, well, I'll go first. So first of all, it's a great theme. If you haven't played it, uh, your firefighters trying to save uh, innocent people in a building. Super simple actions. Now, there are some more advanced actions you can learn. Uh, for example, I still get confused sometimes using the, uh, the water hose on the fire truck. But... It's it's a really fun game. You're, you're you're you know firefighters are heroes in my book. My son loved playing it when he played it with me. Quick game, fun to set up, and I, I do have some problems with the game itself in terms of the balance and how easy it can be sometimes. But it's just it's it's a great looking game. The theme is incredibly interesting. It's really simple with the actions and everything's right there for you to look at. And uh, it's also a, a big thing for me with co-ops, and I'm sure you agree, Peter. It's very scalable. Yeah, I like I like being able to give somebody a game, and I think all my all the games on the list uh, for me have this to some extent. I like that I can give it to them, and they can play the family version, and it's super simple. And then if they're ready, they can add on rules and kind of walk themselves to becoming a more serious, more complex gamer. You know, you can add in like the hazardous materials, you can add in the rolls, you can add in the fire truck, the ambulance. There's a lot of ways to customize the game. So I can play with Harrison, I can play with my wife, I can play with hardcore gamers, and they're always going to have a challenge. Yeah, I mean, I have an admission here, and you may prove me wrong because I may be wrong on this, but I don't ever remember playing anything but the family game. So I haven't, you said you don't remember the rules of the fire hose. I don't ever remember playing with the fire hose <laughs> or the fire truck or the ambulance. I've seen them, they're in my box, they're really cool, but I mostly play this game with my son and now my daughter, three of us played it the other day. And they love just going around putting out fires. In fact, they don't love going around putting out fires. They love going around rescuing people while I get stuck putting out every <laughs> fire in the building. They're like, oh, I got the dog. Oh, I got the kid. Like, So that is I've their favorite it. part. And the pain and terror when you flip it over and there's nobody there. You know, just that false alarm. Yeah. I've played most of the family game, too. Sorry, continue. Oh, no, but that was it. And then my kids also love chopping down the walls. I'm like, you do realize that this building is going to collapse on me any minute now as I'm putting out fire. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I can't tell you that times I have died in the building while they've escaped with some uh, some innocent. Yeah, yeah. and uh, one of my favorite parts about it also is we always tell a little story. I don't do this a lot. You know me. You've played a lot of games with me. I'm very much... 
like Lords of Waterdeep, if we're playing a game, you know, oh, which ones are the yellow, white cubes again? Which ones are the red cubes? So I'm not one to introduce a lot of story. But when I'm with my kids and there's smoke starts right next to one of them, I'm like, what are you doing flicking cigarettes in the house? <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like who's starting fires under the or, you know, a smoke will start in a room and then immediately you'll place a person right next to that smoke or I forget which one goes first. But a person pops up and smoke pops up. I'm like, oh, they're starting a fire. That's why they're hiding under the bed over there. You know, maybe they were the ones responsible for the fire. So I do I've, like, I've had, yeah, I've had some fun uh, stories with my son when a fire started like on a toilet seat, for example. Uh, you know, we'll save those for a later conversation. <laughs> yes, nice. So, yeah, Flashpoint Fire Rescue. I mean, you can probably yeah. tell by the way we're beaming about it that we both really like it. Yeah, big recommend there. And, again, I haven't even played past the family game as far as I remember. So I've, I've, I've played the, the other variants all quite a bit and some of the expansion maps, and they're, they're all good. They all add something fun. Yeah, I have played, ironically, I've played expansion maps with the basic the family, game, sure. the family game rules. Uh, again, but I'm usually playing with smaller kids. All right, so let's get to our number twos. My number two is a super cheap, fun card game, Hanabi. Oh, okay, that one's not on my list. Yeah, so uh, this is, uh, if you don't know it, the theme is a bit thin. Uh, you're, you're setting up a fireworks show. But basically it's a, I kind of describe it as a bit of a variant on Indian poker where you're holding a single card in front of your forehead. Um, you're holding your hand out towards the other players. You cannot see your own hand. And they can't directly tell you what's in your hand. So there's this great interplay of giving clues through the cards you play, through the cards you don't play, through uh, the little clues you are allowed to give of like a color or a number. My wife and I play the heck out of this. Anyone I've introduced it to has loved it. It's incredibly cheap. I I could literally like go on Cool Stuff Inc., buy like five or ten copies of this, have a dinner party, play Hanabi with everybody, and then give them each a copy to take home and play with their families and uh, just, you know, pay it forward like that. Uh, but yeah, it's really great. Uh, I, I just love uh, the the kind of communication dynamic that evolves with it because usually it's such a quick game. We'll play three or four times in a row. It's easy to do well at. Super tough to get a perfect game. I think my wife and I, who played a lot, have maybe gotten two perfect games out of 20, 30, 40 plays. Um, and again, it's got some uh, some expansions in the base game, um, which is, again, super cheap that expand the gameplay some. It's a really nice, like, easy, quick card game. Um, the rules are so simple. I mean, I, I think it's it's definitely the simplest game on my list. I could teach this to, you know, um, elementary school kids, and they would probably be able to get it. Whether they'd play well, that's a, a different <laughs> topic. Well, and this is an interesting one for me. I've only played this once or twice with you at your house, so I've never played this with non-gamers. I've never mm. played this with younger gamers. The interesting thing about this one to me, it's funny, I don't think of this as a co-op game. And... I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. You don't always, you think, oh, I don't like co-op games, but maybe because you don't like one or two co-op games, you go, oh, no, I don't like that co-op experience. The interesting thing about Hanabi to me is, and the reason I think I don't think of it as a co-op game is, there's not really a winner and a loser. There's points, right? You're going to a certain number of points. Certainly, you want to get it to a perfect score, but there's varying degrees of success. Yeah. And so, I mean, Flashpoint Fire Rescue, it's like the house burned down on you. Sorry. You know, you know, and some of these other ones... Um, there's very clear you made it or you didn't. Whereas I think Hanabi is interesting because you do, it kind of pushes you to, hey, let's see if we can beat that score we just got. Sure. And actually that, that sort of reminds me of one of my honorable mentions that I forgot to say, because I don't think of this game as much of a co-op, but we often play it cooperatively, is uh, Code Names or Code Names Pictures. 
I often play that co-op because we'll have like three people and that's often the best way to play it. But yeah, in that case, again, you're just seeing how well did you do, how quickly did you solve everything. There's not really a, I guess unless you get a perfect score, which is impossible, there's not a uh, a winner or a loser. And, and I often play it non-cooperatively, but that's another great, like, easy, quick card game that's super cheap that has a nice co-op element to it. Yeah, um, what's... Uh, sorry, no, I, I was going to say, no, that that's a really good point. Like, um, code names, I always teach cooperatively. Yeah. Whenever I teach the game, Me so too. if there's 10 people in the room, I'm still going to play it co-op first, and then I break us into teams, mm-hmm. just so they get the, the point. I don't have to explain as many rules that way, and I think that's another thing. I don't think we're going to cover a lot of games that aren't co-op, that have co-op variants, but we'll certainly throw it in if we think it's, sure. it's worthy of, of talking about. So what's your uh, number two, Peter? My number two, you've already mentioned, it's uh, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Okay. Well, yeah, uh, let me talk about it first since I go got for it. pushed out. So I actually, I'll, I'll go on record, and I hope we do a, a full episode for this game. I do not think this is a good co-op in a lot of ways, at least when compared to some other uh, cooperative deck builders, because we have a, some really nice ones these days. Eon's End is fabulous. Um, Big Book of Madness is solid. Um, I don't think Hogwarts... Uh, what's, what's the full name of it? Hogwarts... Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. That's right. Or ha- Yeah, yeah. Because there was the other one that was the House Cup game. That was another co-op game we played back in the day. Yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't think it's great in terms of the deck builder genre, but it is the best intro I have ever played for the deck builder genre. I feel like I could give this to almost anybody, and the rules are so simple when you're just doing that first year. The card pool is so basic... There's very little extra rules to add on. And deck builders are fabulous. I love deck builders these days. There's so many great ones. And I think if I wanted to introduce anybody to the deck builder genre, nothing's better than Harry Potter. It's a theme that everyone knows, that everyone can access. See, I don't love the game. I would very quickly want to move people on to other deck builders. I know, Peter, you might have a more positive opinion of it than I do. But um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's just fantastic the way it has sort of the programmed instruction um, if you guys haven't played it, it goes uh, through each year of the, the books and each time adds on some new rules, some new cards to the set, that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the thing that sticks out to about this game to me is that you're learning two things. You're learning about co-op games and you're learning about deck building. Yeah. And I totally agree that it is a genre that is worth exploring. Aeon's End is one of my favorite co-op games so good. So that good. I've played ever, but certainly in the last six months. And so I do think this is a great introductory deck building game. I do agree once you get past that fourth year, fifth year, while the challenge is very easy early on and the challenge actually starts ramping up later in the game, I don't necessarily want to play it at that point because it gets so long. Yeah, um, there's there's need to be some, some design variants in there, I think. But between the theme, the deck building, the co-op, I think it's a great place to get people started. You're right. The rules are straightforward and simple. When, so, yeah, and for me, uh, my wife, Vanessa, she was a huge uh, Harry Potter. She was involved in the fandom, did her own podcast for it, like went to movie premieres for it and stuff. Um, so playing it with her, she, she's enough of a gamer to realize that there are some flaws there. But she just loves seeing the pictures. She loves all the movies. It's it's such a fun thematic experience just to revisit that world, to get the Dobby card, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and... You know what? I have a feeling we have the same number one because it hasn't been mentioned. You said you weren't doing Pandemic because it's in the same family. <laughs> well, why don't you start then because I've, I've started the conversation all, all the right. we share. Is it Forbidden Island? It is Forbidden Island. Well, yeah. Hey, there uh, we go. I mean... Great minds think alike. 
Yeah, I mean, this is definitely our number one. I think it's a great co-op. It's funny. A lot of people don't think it's challenging enough. And there are so many ways to change the difficulty on this game, too. You can rearrange the map however you want. You know, certainly the further apart places are from each other, the harder the game's going to become. It's basically Pandemic Condensed. Now, I haven't played a lot of Pandemic the Dice game, and I played it once, and I wasn't in love with it. No, it's Forbidden Island definitely blows that out of the water for me. And I love Pandemic the Cure you're talking about. Pandemic the Cure. I I wasn't that impressed. I love map movement, and I think that's part of it. I love the visual aspect, certainly putting together that cool little flying helicopter is just such a neat... Well, don't forget, the helicopter's in Forbidden Desert. So which one? Oh, this Forbidden one was Island the, has the four the trophies, cool, uh, like yeah, the the artifacts or whatever. That's right. But either way, I, I mean, the, the little trophies, the little artifacts are so cool for somebody first opening it. It's, what twenty dollars retail? I think yeah, for and, the game. And again, like you said about pandemic, you can find this anywhere: Target, Barnes and Noble. It's all over the place. Yeah, so cheap for such beautiful components. I mean, what a nice little, like, you know, aluminum or whatever it is uh, package that game is. And again, something you can play with children. It's even easier in Pandemic. I think there's, like, five actions total in the entire game. Yeah, four or five. <laughs> um, so there's there's not a lot to it, but the, the richness, the deepness, the complexity, I think, is there as well. And I love the way, and we'll talk about this more when we get yeah, into it, I yeah. love the way this game escalates. Oh, man. That- no game escalates like it. When you take out a tile and you have to take out the matching card, that just immediately ramps up the difficulty of the game. And, well, just, and, and visually. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I'd said Pandemic didn't make the list. Um, I also think Forbidden Island is better than Forbidden Desert. Not just better for new gamers, I think it's better in general. I agree. Um, but yeah, the, the visual effect of seeing the island fall apart. And yeah, I've, I've heard maybe it's too easy at the easiest settings, but I've never won on the easiest setting without three quarters of the island being gone. You know, like ev- every game you feel like you're getting away by the skin of your teeth as the island falls apart around you. When I think there are interesting choices there, because a lot of times you want to go for those artifacts as soon as you find them, certainly. And you're making choices which places to shore up and which places not to. And I think that's interesting because you're going to be making some sacrifices throughout the game. And I think that's a sign of a good co-op is they're not hard choices, right? Do I do this or do I do that? But the implications of those choices are what really make this game interesting for me. Sure, sure. I will say it's, it's it's the one on my list that's the least expandable out of the box. Absolutely. There are no expansions for it. I mean, all you got, I think there's a official like alternate map variants that you can print out from uh, Board Game Geek. But yeah, besides that, it doesn't change much besides just making the game harder or easier, but it, it doesn't need to. It's a it's such a great experience. Yeah, and I, I play it with my four-year-old, and he gets it fine, so it's clearly a, a simple action set. Man, I love that game. It's, it's so much fun. Absolutely. All right, well, we're going a little long. Our goal is to keep these episodes to around 30 minutes, and we're right around there now. So we're going to say goodbye Episode one is going to be our normal format. Our goal is to be about 30 minutes each episode, talk about one game, and then, of course, a design discussion about something surrounding that game. Have, um, you, uh, have you thought of which game you want to do for the first episode, Peter? You know, we were thinking Gloomhaven at first, but that game's not available right now. Yeah. And so maybe we'll start with something like Too Many Bones, which I know we're planning on playing as soon as we're done recording this tonight. So that might be a good first episode, or maybe we start with the classic like Pandemic and kind of get into that way yeah i mean too many bones you can the pre-orders open again but it's almost sold out we'll we'll figure it out before the first episode absolutely and if you guys have any suggestions please reach out to us our email is mvpboardgames at gmail.com or you can follow us on twitter mvpboardgames uh on twitter 
And please feel free to reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Leave reviews on iTunes. And we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, tuning in. Thanks for joining us on Co-OpCast. We'll be back in two weeks to discuss another great cooperative board game. Until then, please review us on iTunes and feel free to follow us on Twitter at MVP Board Games or email us at mvpboardgames at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Peter, and today I'm here with Mike. Hey, how's it going? And this is Co-OpCast, Episode Zero. The co-opiesty place on Earth. Well, yes, the only co-op did he... Itty diddy do place that I know of. All right. No. <laughs> <laughs>